Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Today's lecture is titled, Murder, She Wrote, subtitle, Understanding How to Resurrect from Unintentional Murder. I am one of three siblings. My older brother was born 16 months before me and my sister seven years after me. My brother and I are as different as night and day. He is blessed with social skills, a keen understanding of the authority, hierarchy, and how to play them. Me, not so. Therefore, I spent my most formative years being asked again and again, why can't you be like your older brother? Bring, being brought up in a generation when kids were to be seen and not heard, all I can do was to yell at the top of my imaginary voice, because I am not my brother, I am me. Eventually, I took the rule of kids are to be seen to heart and started acting out in order to be seen. When a child feels unaccepted by his primary caretakers, educators, and what he perceives as all of society, he learns that the alternative to being loved and accepted is to be resented, and thus he sets upon being res resented by society. Some take this to the extreme and end up having run-ins with the law. But for by the grace of God, I was spared any permanent dealings with the law, but did the darn best that I could in being resented by a system who refused to accept me, by the authorities who just wanted me to be like my bro older brother, and by would-be friends who I wouldn't give a chance to choose to resent me because I instead forced upon them to resent me. The fact is that I am but one of a huge percentage of a large population, and it is for this 1% within each of us that this lecture is going to explore the murder she wrote of our well-intentioned primary caretakers and educators. And with this, this lecture will give clear guidance in how to resurrect ourselves from this unintentional murder and to go on and fully live the life of who God created us to be. Let me tell you about which population I speak of. In this week's Torah portion, we are commanded upon the laws concerning an individual who murders another person by accident, such as a woodchopper whose axe is blade dislodged from the handle and hits someone and kills him. The Torah commands us to build cities of refuge to where these unintentional murderers have to live in, lest he be killed by one of the victim's family members. I am speaking of the population of the murder victims of these unintentional murderers. Murderers who in fear, in desperation, and in good intentions murder the child from freely being who he was born to be. I will admit that some accepted being murdered far more graciously than I have, and they learned to conform to being more like their older brother or whomever they were asked to become like. I didn't. I went down hard. However, this isn't a bad thing. My not conforming, I mean. In this week's Torah portion, there are also commandments concerning a false prophet. Let me read to you one specific verse on this topic. 
But the prophet who intentionally speaks a word in my name, which I did not command him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That's the verse in this week's Torah portion. Upon which Rashi, Rab Shlomo Yitzchaki, he comments, he quotes the words which I did not command him to speak, and he comments as follows, but which I commanded his fellow prophet to speak. Now, if Prophet A knows that God commanded Prophet B to give over a specific prophecy, and Prophet B isn't giving it over, then why should Prophet A be put to death for giving over a true prophecy? I dare to say that the spirit behind this law is that Prophet A isn't his brother, Prophet B. Prophet A shouldn't be like his brother, Prophet B. This is true even if his brother is a true prophet and what his brother has to say is true prophecy. Why? Because God created him to be Prophet A and gave him his very unique prophecy to bring to the universe. If Prophet A conforms into becoming like Prophet B and is living the prophecy of Prophet B, then he has murdered the Prophet A who God created him to be and is withholding his own unique prophecy that God has given him to bring to the world. One of the most emphasized teachings of Chabad Hasidus concerning this Jewish calendar month of Elul is that it is the month of compassion to which the Alter Rebbe, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, founder of Chabad, gives a metaphor of a king who leaves his palace and comes to the field where his subjects are working and receives them all with a shining face of joyous countenance. I recently heard a story as it was told by Rabbi Yaakov Herzog that in 1974 in a private audience with the Rebbe for his upcoming bar mitzvah, the Rebbe asked him if he learned about the metaphor of the king in the field, to which Yaakov answered in the affirmative. The Rebbe then asked him, did you meet with the king in the field? The young Yaakov remained silent, not knowing what to answer. To which the Rebbe then continued with, Every time that you make a blessing and say, Blessed are you, God, you have met with the king in the field. This left me thinking. The whole point of the king's being in the field is that the king becomes accessible to us. In other words, in order for us to meet him. Thus, the Rebbe's question wasn't just a side question of whether young Yaakov happened to meet the king in the field. Rather, if young Yaakov, you and I, do not meet the king in the field, then the king's entire being in the field was purposeless. Let us take this to the next level. The Rebbe emphasizes in his teachings the detail of the metaphor that the king shows everyone a shining face of a joyous countenance and graciously receives everyone. So, the question isn't just whether we have met the king in the field. Rather, the Rebbe's question also includes whether we felt God's joyous countenance shining upon us and whether we felt God receiving us graciously. Well, did we? And if not, why not? Quite a couple of years ago, I got to know an abused woman 
who was divorced from her ex-abusive husband, worked at the time for an abusive boss, and lived in an apartment of an abusive landlord. I set myself to saving this woman and her children from being abused, which led me into a very confusing and painful situation in which I was being repelled and abused by this very abused woman who I was trying to help. In discussing the matter with a colleague, my colleague taught me something so deep, so profound, and more importantly, so universally true. Avrumi, he said, you can't help any her you can't help her any more than she wants to be helped your not being able to witness her being abused isn't what can save her she needs to not want to be abused anymore and then you can help her save herself let us now take this into our discussion about meeting the king in the field and experiencing the king's showing us a shining face of a joyous countenance and graciously receiving us. Even God's showing us a shining face of joy and seeing us being ourselves in the field, and even God's receiving us graciously, cannot have us feel loved, accepted, being a source of joy to God, or being received lovingly and graciously by God. Not until we get past the, why can't you be like your older brother? Rabzusha of Anipo is quoted for saying, When my time comes to face the heavenly court, I will not be asked why I wasn't like Moses. Rather, I will be asked why I wasn't Zusha. The first step to being ourselves is to want to be no one else but ourselves which first demands of us to accept being ourselves, which may demand getting over who others demanded us not to be by asking us why we can't be someone else. I want to share with you the very foundation of Chabad's notion of who a Rebbe is. Many people wonder about Chabad's outlook on a Rebbe, the Rebbe. So here is the very foundation of Chabad's notion of who a Rebbe is. The Alter Rebbe, founder, first Rebbe of Chabad, sat down to write a book. However, it would be a very unique, unprecedented book. It would be a Rebbe in book form. It would be a book through which, and I'm going to quote here from his introduction, to receive moral guidance in the service of God, I have therefore recorded all the replies to all the questions to be preserved as a signpost and to serve as a visual reminder for each and every person that he, so that he will no longer press for admission to private conference with me. For in these responsa he will find peace for his soul and true counsel on every matter that he finds difficult in the service of God. His heart will thus be for, firmly secured in the Lord who completes everything for us. End quote. Wow, what a taunting task the Alter Rebbe is taking upon himself. Now, this is the primary purpose of a Rebbe, to receive private audiences called Yechidus, in which people, again I quote from the introduction, having revealed, revealed to me all the secrets of their heart, and mind in the service of God, which is dependent on the heart." End quote. To which the Rebbe then gives guidance. 
Now, the Alter Rebbe said upon writing a book called Tanya, which would serve this primary purpose of a Rebbe to all people for all times. In the introduction of this book, which I have just quoted from, the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe defines the ultimate criteria to being a Rebbe. Again, I'm going to in quote from the introduction of this book. As also Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman of blessed memory explains the reason for this blessing in Milchamot, elaborating on the commentary of the Sifri concerning Joshua, who is described as a man in whom there is spirit, who can meet the spirit of each and every one, and so on. End quote. What is going on? The Alter Rebbe is speaking here of the impossibility to write such a book and states that the law, that when someone sees a gathering of 600,000 people, parenthetically speaking, this is the number of the Jewish nation at the birth of the nation under Moses, one is obligated to make the blessing of Baruch Atah Hashem Chacham Harazin, Blessed are you God, wise one of secrets. The reason for this is that there are now there are no two people with the same mindset, perception, and understanding. Thus, you are witnessing in this gathering of 600,000 people, meaning 600,000 different forms of thinking, perception, which all come from God. Thus, you are witnessing a glimpse of God's infinite power of forms of perception. Now let us go back to the quote from Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman upon Joshua being a leader, an individual upon whom one can make this blessing of God's infinite forms of perception. Why? Because Joshua was, again the quote from the verse, a man in whom there is spirit, ish asher ruach bo. What does that mean? So Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman defines this to mean who can meet the spirit of each and every one, and so on. Meaning, that what defined Joshua as a leader of the Jewish people is that within Joshua existed all the different 600,000 forms of perception of his generation, which most importantly meant that when Joshua spoke to Mr. A, he spoke to him through the form of perception of Mr. A. And when Joshua spoke to Mrs. B, he spoke to her through the form of perception of Mrs. B. Joshua never told someone that the other person has it right. And if only you could perceive things the way he does, and then if you would read what I wrote to him, then you will understand it right. In other words, a true leader, a Rebbe, never asks anyone, why can't you be like your older brother? As a matter of fact, what makes a Rebbe a Rebbe is precisely his capacity and appreciation that no one ever should be like anyone else. The healing power of this Jewish calendar month of Elul, as it is defined in the metaphor of the king in the field, I believe, is hidden in the open words of this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion opens up with the verse, You shall set up judges and law enforcement officials for yourself in all your gateways. In the mystical teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidicism, these great gateways are truly personalized and are speaking of the sensory faculties which are the gateways of information into and out of our minds and hearts.
and of the 50 gateways of understanding through which our emotions come to our intellects and our intellects come to our emotions. And these gateways refer as well to the 32 pathways of wisdom through which our intellects and our emotions receive from our higher faculty of willpower. The judges represent our need to perceive and understand, and the officers represent our need for obedience. Yes, part of our accepting ourselves for who we are is to have the healthy boundaries of perception and of obedience, and to know when to employ which. If we don't embrace healthy personal boundaries, then the enmeshment that pursues from an open-bordered self denies us from accepting ourselves and from being ourselves. However, the focal point here is that the verse does not say at all your plural gateways, which would be in Hebrew she'oreichem, but at all your singular gateways, which in Hebrew is she'orecha, which once again brings us back to the Alter Rebbe's introduction to his book Tanya. Again, I quote to you from the introduction to the Tanya. Awe and love that are in the mind and heart of each and every one according to his capacity, i.e. according to his heart's estimation, as explained in the Holy Zohar on the verse, her husband is known in the gates. What is going on here is, that one of the many interpretations of King Solomon's poem, known as the Woman of Valor, is that God is our husband and we are God's Woman of Valor. From this perspective, the Zohar is explaining the verse in the poem. The verse says, Her husband is known in the gates. To mean that God is known to each person through their individual gates, the word She'arim, gateways, of perception which defines as well as through each individual's capacity of limitation, shi'urim, measurements. So we're playing with the word she'arim, gateways, which can also mean shi'urim, which is measurements. Thus what we are saying is that God is known in a relationship with each individual through his personal gateways and through his own personal capacity of limitation. In closing, the healing of being brought up with consistently being bombarded with why can't you be like your older brother or whomever else you were asked to be like is to realize that when the king comes to us in the field, the king is in your field and is receiving you through your gateways. My friends, I want to conclude with nothing else but to repeat that last line, the king is in your field and is receiving you through your gateways. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.